Hello, listeners, all of my brothers and sisters. I am Veronica, your host, VT, back with another episode of Music and a Mission. And today I have a very special guest with me, Dr. Erica Boas, who's a California native and is in the San Francisco Bay Area with me. Dr. Boas, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me, VT. I'm very excited to talk to you today. I am excited to, to have you on the program. I do want to introduce you to my audience and tell them a little bit about your background. You're an educator who has done research with children in grades K through 5, specifically on the topics of race, sexuality, and gender. And so as an educational researcher, I know that you probably have done extensive reading and writing on the topic of racial justice, which is the theme of my show. But I want you to tell the audience, kind of share, one of the things you wish you'd known when you began your career in education. Mm. Yeah, so I've been in education since, I mean, without any credential or any training since I was a teenager. I was working in a daycare program. Um, and I was volunteering through my school in, in programs. And so, you know, then I kind of moved on and I continued to volunteer through my coursework. And so I think one of the things that, in, that they don't tell you is that you've already probably in your career gained experience that was unpaid, um, you know, that was uncredentialed, um, where you were getting the training um, and the lessons that are needed um, to have any kind of su- successful career. So I think one of the things I wish I would have considered is that, um, you know, as I moved into a credential position with teaching, um, which was my first job, my first real job, um, you know, and I say real, um, and I'm even self-conscious about that, but <clears throat> my first real job out of college I wish I would have considered all the experience I gained through my babysitting, my daycare work, um, because I think those, that was essential learning. And I, I kind of put it aside as though it wasn't um, because nobody was really giving us credit for the things that we had learned through experience. And I think experience is the best teacher. Um, but we have a system where we're told that if you're not getting grades for it, if you're not getting paid for it, um, it's not, it's not a value. Um, and so I, I wish I would have really thought about the value I brought, um, to teaching through earlier experiences. And I know that seems small, but I think that's applicable to lots of, um, our life, right? Lots of things in our life, a lot of, um, what we do, right? We think of, we kind of compartmentalize the paid, the graded, and then the experiential, and I think they all should be counted. The other thing is I think, you know, it's okay to have a lot of careers, right? So I've had a lot of careers within education. I guess I can say that they all kind of cohere around education, but um, I've done lots of different things within education, and so people might see them as different career tracks. Um, But now I can look back and say, oh, I see really how they are part of, you know, a unified track. Um, that, I w- that I've been on. It makes me think of college students who are trying to declare a major mm. and to identify the things that they're naturally good at versus something that maybe a parent says, 
well, I want you to go down this pathway versus what they feel they really have a purpose to do. Mm-hmm. And so in your sharing that, it really makes me think about educators being lifelong learners and how no matter what our career path may be, we should always look to improve upon ourselves, increase our knowledge, our learning, our capacity for learning. And, you know, I just want to include a quote by James Baldwin who said, Mm. ignorance allied with power is the most ferocious enemy that justice can have. And so with both of us being in the racial justice fight, you know, we really want to see people gain knowledge the opposite of ignorance. So it's Mm -hmm. very, very helpful that you share that, not just for people that are younger, the millennials, but also people who maybe want to do a career change. And there are lots Mm -hmm. of people who always felt, oh, I wanted to be an educator, but, well, I'm already in corporate America or, you know, I'm in this path. But you can always start over if you feel um, that this is something you really could make the jump and do. It's a leap of faith, but it, it's something that I've, I've seen people do, and some have done it really successfully. So thank you for that answer. Um, this has been an unusual year, as you know. 2020, <laughs> people had so many things they were thinking of, um, resolutions they were making, um, aspirations that they had for the year, and March comes and everything was shut down for many of us. So with this unexpected global pandemic happening for us, there are many people who may be listening that have had a low point in their life or they're experiencing it right now. Um, Can you share with the listeners for Music and a Mission something that inspires you or someone who has Mm -hmm. inspired you at low point since we've been sheltering in place for so long? Mm-hmm. What or who inspires you? So the first thing I want to say to that is um, that, you know, we feel very kind of isolated in this moment because we are, many of us, um, are home and unable really to go out or do the things that we would want to do, see the people we'd want to see. So I just want to say, first of all, that you are not alone. Um, you know, we are many of us are thinking of you, right, as kind of the collective. Um, and we are going to get through this. And I think one of the things that helps me remember that we will get through this um, is thinking about my own family and thinking about the things that my ancestors went through. So as context, on my dad's side, um, I am Dutch-Jewish. My dad is a Holocaust survivor. He was born in the Westerbork camp um, in Holland. And my grandparents and my uncle are the only living relatives I have, the only relatives I have known because um, as far as I know, everybody else in my kind of immediate circle, my family circle, was killed. Um, So I just think about what my grandparents went through, what my uncle and my dad went through as small as babies and and toddlers, um, you know, and and that they survived is, you know, they defied all the odds to survive, but they also had to live through seeing, knowing that their people were being killed. Um, 
and dying and there was nothing they could do about it. They had no power in it. And so remembering that they, they, they persisted, um, you know, on that side. And then on my mom's side, I'm Japanese American and I'm fourth generation um, in the Japanese American community. Um, in Japanese, it's called Yonsei, fourth generation. Um, and my grandparents and great grandparents were also incarcerated here in the United States um, during World War II. And so I think about them living through it. And fortunately for my family, nobody, nobody physically died during that time, although um, there were some persistent men- mental health issues that my great-grandfather faced um, going forward, um, <clears throat> you know, depression. Um, and so I just think about what they endured and that they got through it and that, you know, all of this suffering that they went through, I do feel um, not a guilty responsibility, but an empowered responsibility to, to, to also do my best and to kind of like do my best to stay up, but also be real with myself um, as I do that, right? So meaning not just be happy because people tell me to be happy, but really work toward the things that I believe in right now, um, you know, with, with respect to helping others. I, I try to reach out and kind of go beyond my immediate community, for example, making phone calls to undocumented folks, um, you know, who have applied for funds when they weren't getting any from the government. Um, You know, I'm working with organizations like that, Um, working with um, a Japanese American political organization where we have been doing some community work to sort of build solidarity around the Black Lives Matter movement. Um, I think things like that really help me stay in my purpose. Um, so, you know, and that all I think comes from the knowledge that I have of my own, my own family and my own culture and what I want for my daughter, right, in particular, but more broadly what I want for this next generation, what I, what I want to cultivate so that um, young people have something better. And so we're not just putting it on them to make it better, um, but doing the work that I need to do. So that happens. And part of that is also educating my daughter um, around, you know, Black Lives Matter, around race, around racial justice, around equity. Um, And she's seven years old. So just for context, that's the information there. That's my favorite grade to teach, by the way, as a music educator. (laughs) But I want to thank you, Dr. Boas, for affirming that Black Lives Matter Mm. as an African-American educator. Um, it's certainly something that I deal with daily in my mm-hmm. walk as a woman, you know, as an African-American in this country. Um, and I rely on my faith as mm. a Christian during times like these because there's so much trauma that African-Americans have endured in this country. And mm-hmm. people feel that to be pro-black is to be anti-American, and it's mm. not that at all. The Black Lives Matter movement is really to eradicate white supremacy. And as a Christian, I believe that, you know, God made from one man every nation of mankind to live upon the earth. And so music and a mission is my purpose um, to bring about the unity of races and ethnicities. You know, a mission is a pre-established purpose. Mm-hmm. And so music is a powerful medium 
to bring people together. So I want to transition now and ask about music. And if there is a song that you feel could serve as a soundtrack of your life or describe where you are in your journey right now. Yeah. So um, I'm giving this question special thought because generally when people ask me questions like this, I'm kind of like, well, here are 10. Um, <laughs> you know, because it's, it's the commitment is too much, right? Um, but in this moment, so one of the songs that, that immediately came to mind in this moment um, is Prince's Starfish and Coffee. Um, there are reasons for that. I think the biggest reason is that, like, the, to me, and I know music is all about interpretation, right, and, and kind of about, it's really, so much of it is about emotion and the emotion you feel when you hear something. But to me, the, the song itself sounds joyful, right? It sounds happy. And um, yet you listen to the lyrics and it's about a girl who, I think it's about a girl who is um, kind of on the outside, right? And she's kind of odd and, and she's doesn't necessarily have a predetermined place in school. And I'm thinking so much about school right now because I work in education um, and we're, you know, in conversations about what school reopening is going to look like at work and then in my home I'm doing the homeschooling thing and thinking about what's going to happen when my daughter goes back to school or when school opens in the fall and I just this song is so much is about school um, and about a little girl um, and about how she uses her imagination and creativity um, you know to kind of define her own world and I feel like right now we're in a moment where we need to imagine and redefine our world. Um, the world that we thought we were in is so changed and so quickly. Um, you know, it's a, it's a reminder that, that what we live is, is constructed, um, that nothing is just created here for us. Nothing that we live right now is hasn't been pre-constructed um, and that we are in a position where we can change things. Um, so there's that, but also there's the other level of that song being so surreal, Starfish and Coffee, right? The title itself is very surreal. Um, it makes no sense. It doesn't even make sense really when you listen to the song. It's based, It's all up to your kind of interpretation, your perception, the meaning you make of it. And I think we need to right now be making our own meaning. Um, and I think, you know, our own, I'm not just talking about individual, because right? oftentimes when we say our own in the United States, we're thinking individually. I'm thinking about a collective meaning. Um, what does it mean for us to be here in community now to take care of each other, you know, to make sure that we first, we, the community, first are taking care of each other, right, before we call on any system of power to intervene um, to do so, right? I believe that we have, we have that ability. I think that it has systematically been taken away from us um, and that we have, un, we have had to unlearn that, um, and now we need to learn it again, right? Um, <clears throat> and I don't think it's as hard as, as it's been made to sing. I think the Black Lives Matter movement, and thank you for kind of picking that up, um, VT, 
um, is trying to define what it means to be in community together and for us to have a community of care um, where we turn to each other to care for each other and to, to help each other meet our, our specific needs for the community and for the individual. Um, so it's really, even though this is, as you mentioned, a really, really hard time, um, it's a hard time. It's full of challenge. It's also, you know, what I think Prince was singing about. It's also about our imagination and creativity and, and being able to access that right now. Um, and I believe we can. I love that, Dr. Bowes. And you are an example of someone who draws on the strength of their heritage. And so I just want to acknowledge, you know, that you come from Japanese uh, heritage, Jewish heritage, and hearing you share how your ancestors endured these things will probably, I'm pretty sure it will inspire others. And so little Cynthia Rose and Starfish Mm -hmm. and Coffee is in school. You know, we're Mm -hmm. educators, and and she's so unapologetic in who she is. She's Mm -hmm. creative. She doesn't care that she's different from everyone. And so many kids are afraid to be who they are. So I love your selection of starfish and coffee. And I did want to share that I just read The Prince Estate is releasing songs with it. So in September, there's going to be some new tracks along with the Sign of the Times album. So all the Prince fans will absolutely be excited about that. And it is such a whimsical and unique song. It reflects being who you are. So I love Mm -hmm. that. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yes. And that's so exciting. We have something to look forward to. It's, you know, the other yeah. thing we need to do is look forward to things, right? So having things to look forward to, and this is definitely one of those things. Absolutely. Okay. And I know you mentioned your daughter who's seven. We don't know the age of Cynthia Rose and Starfish mm-hmm. and Coffee, but I know that your daughter is, is special to you naturally as a parent. And so I want you to talk a little more about her and about any others that are influential in your life. Okay. Um, so, I mean, I really, you know, there's so many amazing people who have done the work that's needed to happen to, you know, help us move toward freedom and to, they were liberators, right? And all those people are influential to me, um, but really the, the most profoundly influential people are my immediate family. And, um, I mean, I think, you know, my dad, my mom, um, they're two people who have done the work that they need to do to make their lives the best lives that they could lead. And, um, you know, I think my mom, I think about her, and she's a, uh, she's just a person, right? She now works at a yoga studio. She, um you know, was a customer service rep for a long time and a technical writer. And she, but I think, you know, she has this strength that's internal and this wisdom that's internal that's that's always offered with humility. Um, And she's sort of the person that people call on in my family informally to help them make sense of other family members um, because she's just such a grounded person. And my dad who has, you know, always follow the thing that I think in his heart he really wants to do, which is to write and to know more about kind of the 
the environment in Europe um, during World War II that allowed for the Holocaust to happen. And so he's done that in lots of ways. He's a historian. Um, but most profoundly right now is my daughter. I mean, she just, she's changed who I believe I am um, in really fantastic ways. She challenges me. And, you know, I would say in, for better, for worse, but I think it's always for better. Um, you know, they, it's not always pleasant how she challenges me, um, but it always helps me learn. And she is an honest person. She is a person who, you know, really, I mean, now that she's seven, she can say things, she can think about how to say things in a kind way um, that doesn't hurt you. But, you know, when she was three, she couldn't. Um, so her honesty is, is transforming, um, and she's learning how to be also kind with her language um, and thoughtful, um, and she really tries to understand other people's motivations, and I think that's important. Um, and I do say that for better or for worse. Like, you know, she tries to understand why people do the things that they do. Um, you know, she loves animals. Um, she loves life. She really wants things to be beautiful. I don't know. I just think she, her, her approach, her orientation to the world is one that I really admire. Um, you know, and she is herself. Like that's one thing that I've definitely, I saw, you know, from the day she was born, she's the same person that she was when she was born, just headstrong, independent, um, why she's knowledgeable about things for some reason, like without having, you know, been taught. Um, and it's so funny. And she's been that way from day one. Um, and she just becomes more of herself. And so I, I really hope that I can honor who she is for the rest of her life because I think she's amazing. That's wonderful to hear. And I know there's some parents out there who may be wondering, okay, I have a small child or I have a teenager what are some resources that you would recommend for parents who may want to introduce their children to racial mm-hmm. justice work? And I know this may be a very hard question because you're an educator, a researcher, <laughs> an activist, but are there some books maybe that you could recommend? You, you have a specialty with K-5 through five, mm-hmm. uh, children. Mm-hmm. Any resources mm-hmm. that you think would work or those that you've used with your own daughter? Yeah, so... So the short answer is yes, I do, and I'll share a couple. Um, But one thing I want to say first is that something that I've been intentional about doing with my daughter from the time she started, we started looking at books and from the time she started watching movies and television shows is to talk about the way race and representation are working. And I know that not everybody feels like they have the vocabulary for that or the knowledge for that, but really it was about pointing out who was on screen, what they looked like, and why that, and, you know, over time, why that might be the case. And, you know, so Disney films, right, they've become more multicultural, which is all good, um, but still there's a certain, there's definitely a leaning toward whiteness, right, that happens. And my daughter just, so everybody knows. Um, so obviously she's Japanese and, and Jewish, um, but she's also Mexican, and so she's a brown girl. Um, and so we wanted to make sure that she knew that just because she wasn't seeing herself on the screen, um, 
didn't mean that she wasn't a value. It was all about the people making the decisions, right, about what to put there, what would sell, why. And so having those really actually complex conversations with her from the time she started watching TV (laughs) or watching movies. Um, And I think those conversations are really important. She sees it now herself, right? So that's a critical, that's, that's kind of what, bell hooks talks about when she talks about talking back right um you know you see what you see on the screen and then you can have your own critical view of why that is um and what it is that they're doing and and i think that's those are important (laughs) those are important um kind of skills right that you can give to your children um and everybody can do that right, just by asking who's on the screen and, and why do you think they're on the screen um, and having the conversation and letting your kid ask questions and letting your kid have the answers that they do, right, because sometimes you're like, oh, no, I can't believe you said that. But, <laughs> you know, like her blue eyes are beautiful, right? It's like, yeah, that's, that's probably true. But when it's in kind of this, this system of white supremacy, right, it becomes the meaning changes right, to say that blonde hair is more beautiful than brown hair or black hair or, or light skin is more attractive than black skin, right, um, <clears throat> that you need to be able to have those conversations with your kid, I think. So we do. Um, <clears throat> so that was a, the long-ish answer. Um, <clears throat> some, a book that I actually really, uh, no, I can't say a book. Okay, a couple books. One book that I read to my daughter, so given that, you know, my grandparents were incarcerated, um, one book that I read to her probably before she was really ready, and that's another thing is, like, that idea of readiness, right, is something that is you construct in part, right? Obviously, there are things that are a little difficult language-wise, and that's what I'm talking about when I talk about this book. But, um, you know, the ideas in here we could talk about, and I'll probably read this book again to her. So this book is called Sylvia and Aki, and it's written probably for like 10 years to 12 years, maybe, maybe a little, maybe nine years. Um, so it's a chapter book, and it's about a Mexican-American girl um, who was a, the daughter of the Mendez family who really propelled the NAACP um, Brown versus Board of Education, Topeka, Kansas, um, battle. Um, so that happened actually that first case happened in California, and it was around um, Mexican um, students being able to integrate into schools, um, and NAACP used that as a, as a kind of basis for Brown versus Board of Ed. Um, but it's also about her friendship, so Sylvia Mendez's friendship with um, <clears throat> um, Aki, and I don't remember her last name off and um, who ended up going, being incarcerated as a child, and they were friends, and they actually lived in the same house but at different times, and the story of their friendship or their getting to know each other um, and, the, and the challenges that two kind of groups were facing at the same time around, um, you know, the fight for, for their rights, really, mm-hmm. um, and the taking away of rights as well. So that was, that's one book, and that's, like I said, for a little bit older um, the other book that I have always read to my students um, is Smoky Night, and um, that's by Eve Bunting, and the illustration is by David Diaz. 
and it's about um, well, it, I, it, they don't name it, but it's about the LA uprisings, um, um, and it's about you know, I think it's really about kind of this idea of the community of care, what happens right during these times when when there are people in the street who are angry um, and they're expressing it, and then the way that they can express it is to you know, be in the streets. And, um, and um, so it's, you know, about people um, showing their anger, their dissatisfaction with the system, and then about families who kind of come together. Um, so I believe, you know, there's a Korean American family and there's a black family and, and they sort of find their way, the girls, the, the kids, the kid finds her way um, there. And, um, you know, toward a kind of collectivity. Um, and I really have always appreciated this book for I think what it does subtly, right? It's not overt about anything. It's, it's really pretty subtle about um, people finding com- communality. And I think that's, that's an important lesson for kids. Um, so those are two books. I have a lot more, um, you know, we read, I eat my daughter books about, um, like some of the freedom fighters, she knows about Martin Luther King Jr. She's read those books. She knows about Malcolm X. Um, she knows about Cesar Chavez. Um, you know, and so we 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 do Dolores Huerta. Um, we do read her books about people too, um, but she loves the story books. I love reading, and I prefer a book as opposed to reading on a tablet or mm-hmm. online. I'm so old school, and I really miss mm-hmm. being in the public libraries. But mm. uh, those are two great suggestions. I, I've written those down, and I'm hoping that our parents uh, will utilize those resources and others because there's so much diversity in children's books and picture books. Uh, and also in adult books, which we'll talk about in just a moment. Mm-hmm. But I do want to acknowledge for the Music and Emission listeners that this podcast is specifically designed to use music and other arts mediums to help you approach those topics with your family members, with your children, um, to break down, to dismantle the white supremacy that exists in our country. We have to acknowledge that it is, exists. You know, we have to be realistic about that and find ways to bring about our commonalities. Again, because we all bleed the same. Uh, there's a song that um, Kirk Franklin and uh, Mandisa and Toby Mac did together. We all bleed the same. But there's so many people that emphasize the outer exterior, this bodysuit that we wear, instead of the things that bring us together. Um, so as we're nearing the close of our time together, I did want you, again, I know it's hard because you're a researcher, um, to identify some books that maybe adults who want to delve into racial justice and really don't know where to start. There's lots of people who are doing book clubs, and mm-hmm. um, they're looking at articles that give them suggestions of books that they can read along the lines of racial justice, but could you identify some books that you would recommend for listeners? Sure. So um, let's see. So I'll start with a classic because this is one I always, I have gone back to many, many times to help me kind of ground in the critical theory, um, you know, around race and 
um, feminism and sexuality, um, but that's Audre Lorde's Sister Outsider. And I really think that there are a lot of fantastic books on race and equity and um, racial justice, uh, you know, and dismantling white supremacy right now. But if we go back to the classics, and you just quoted James Baldwin, um, he's another one I would highly recommend reading in this moment. Um, go back to the classics, classics of black feminism, like Audre Lorde, we get to remember that none of what is being kind of touted, spoken by, by more mainstream now around equity, around white supremacy, these are not new ideas. There have been people who have been working for and fighting for justice, um, who have been doing the theoretical work necessary for us to have a concrete, detailed, deep understanding of the history of um, racial oppression and white supremacy, um, of um, misogyny, right, and um, of intersectionality, right? So people who've been doing this work for a long time, and I think going back to the classics reminds us that we are entrenched, um, and we've been for a very long time, um, and so we need to keep, keep learning and keep doing the work um, that needs to happen to make sure that we continue to, to um, ensure that people can live the best, all people can live the best lives um, that can be, that, that we've promised. Um, you know, so there's that. So there's her. And that's one. If I had to stop there, I'd be happy to just <laughs> give you that one. Um, but there's another one now. So I'm thinking a lot about these days, a lot about the Asian American um, uh, Pacific Islander, like the anti-Asian American Pacific Islander backlash um, that is being really very much propelled and pe- perpetuated by the Trump administration right now um, with, you know, calling um, COVID-19 the Kung Flu virus and, and terrible things like that. That's really, um, you know, anti-Chinese and anti-Asian and what's happening what was happening in schools, what's happening on the streets, what's happening in places of business um, with the Asian American community uh, or to the Asian American community. And so there's a book right now um, that just came out a few months ago called Minor Feelings, and it's by Cassie Park Hong. And the kind of subtitle to that is um, An Asian American Reckoning. And it's really about kind of the, the racial position um, within white supremacy of Asian Americans um, and the way that we might feel because we are positioned as a quote unquote model minority, which is really a project of white supremacy. Um, and but then what that does to us in kind of like the the racial um, milieu or the racial environment, right? Um, to make us feel like maybe we don't have a place. Um, to make us feel like maybe we can't fight back, um, to make us feel like we should be appreciative of, you know, the not very privileged privileges that um, white supremacy grants us. Um, so I think it's, it's very nuanced and it's really an important read right now um, for me. 
and for my community. Um, and then finally, the last one would be the book by Tommy Orange that came out a couple of years ago um, called There, There. And um, I just think that he does an incredible job of weaving um, history, facts, into fictional accounts um, that are not necessarily fictional, <laughs> um, that could be very, um, that might be real, right? Um, <clears throat> And he's just an amazing young writer, um, and I really hope he comes out with something new soon so that I can read that in book form, like UVT, um, because that's how I like to read, too. Those are some great suggestions, and I adore that you have covered marginalized communities, you know, not just African Americans, but Native Americans, um, whose land on which we stand, Mm -hmm. and you know, Asian Americans who have certainly been targeted this year with the Mm -hmm. COVID-19 pandemic. And so I've written those down and also the suggestions that you gave for children's books that you've used both with your daughter and with students. And so, again, Dr. Boas, I want to thank you for what you've contributed to this episode of Music and a Mission. Um, Again, I want to highlight that this podcast, uses music and other arts mediums to bring about racial unity. Uh, And that's my heart. And I wanted to share with our listeners, uh, someone who's influenced me, just in reading the book Just Mercy by Mm -hmm. Bryan Stevenson. I'd seen the movie earlier this year, but it was streamed for free on many platforms in the month of June for people who have not seen Just Mercy Um, Brian Stevenson is an attorney who's done work to specifically help uh, poor African Americans that have been wrongfully incarcerated. And his work with the Equal Justice Initiative is still ongoing, and he does uh, great things. I just wanted to to speak, you know, some words that he shared, that we all need mercy, we all need justice, and a measure of unmerited grace. So, again, Dr. Boas, thank you so much for being Mm -hmm. with me today. I thank you for your time, your expertise, your kindness. It's come across to, to the listeners, I'm sure. And if you have any final thoughts, I'll let you share those. Uh, if not, I'll sign us off. Well, I appreciate you listening to me. Um, isn't that something very special when people listen? Um, so thank you, VT, for having me on the show for letting me talk about things that some of the things that are most important to me um, today and every day. And um, I'm really excited about your podcast going forward. And I I will be one of those listeners you're addressing right now um, in the future. So thank you so, so much. You're very welcome. And thank you again for being my first guest. You reminded me to tell people to please subscribe to the channel so that you'll find out when we have additional episodes. And this podcast will be a seasonal one. So I'm doing some episodes now this summer as an educator while I'm on break, even though I'm still doing a lot of professional development and personal things to prepare myself for the school year. But I do have the next phase of podcast episodes that I'll release in the fall. And I have some more special people to come. But again, I want to thank Dr. Erica Boas, educator, researcher, activist, and woman, fierce woman, to be on the show today. And I want to thank all of you who've taken the time out of your day to listen. And as we have said earlier, this is 
a podcast about racial justice and music. I certainly hope that you will join us as we keep beating the drum for justice. Until next time, I'm your host, VT.